I, and then I would still have stress full days at work and stuff. And then she'd come up to me and I'd be like, just, 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 just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. I, I, I had a bad day. I need, I need, I need, a, I need a drink. I need to sit down on my recliner and I need for you to leave me, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Welcome to another educational edition of the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. We are here in West Bend, Wisconsin today, and we're going to travel down to Milwaukee to visit with Jason Ketchenego. And uh, Jason is a Menominee tribal veteran and combat uh, with combat experience in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And Jason is the owner and operator of OP Oshkosh, a nonprofit organization that helps tribal veterans find new purpose and meaning through peer support and helping their communities. What a wonderful uh, organization you've started. But welcome to the show, Jason. Happy to have you here. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, our honor. Let, let's start out as we always do. Tell us a little bit about uh, a little bit about Jason's background. Where are you from? Uh, activities when you were young before you got to the military. Family sounds good. So um, I came from the Menominee Indian Reservation. Uh, it is uh, just uh, probably about northwest, 45 minutes northwest of Green Bay, Wisconsin. I enjoy playing guitar, um, listening to music going to concerts, exercise. Um, I've always, I've always been a very physically fit individual. Um, if you can't already tell, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, that, that's, that's essentially what my hobbies were. And, um, before I joined the military, mom, know, and, mom and dad, brothers, sisters, pet dog, any of those sorts of things. Yeah. So I do, I had a, my, my mother and father, um, were together till I was about three uh, and then, you know, they kind of went their separate ways. So I became a mama's boy and um, I was more attached to my mother than my father. My father did try to make an attempt, but I kind of pushed him away and I was a little bit more protective. I do have a half brother. I really wish that I can, you know, formulate a better relationship with 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 my brother. You know, he's kind of going off you know, and we're, we're so concerned with 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 his well-being. We kind of switched places. Uh, I kind of went from being the the black sheep and the the troublemaker to you know 
And he was like really good in football, had a lot of, he was an A student and everything like that. And then I joined the military and we kind of switched roles and he hopefully will join me and I can talk to him and, and a little bit about recovery and I can, you know, kind of help him and he can help me who knows, you know, but I think, um, you know, being a peer support specialist uh, now, you know, that's what peer support's all about. And, you know, that's predominantly what I do now. And so my recovery is very important to me and helping out others is very important to me. And, but on top of that, this is your brother, uh, half brother. Uh, so hopefully this uh, podcast will uh, will get to him. He'll hear it and he'll know that you're inspired and open to some sort of um, continuing um relationship with uh, together that would be beneficial to both of you. So that's uh, another one of the benefits of these podcasts is getting the families involved. So now yeah. you have come through your childhood and played the guitar and worked out and watched your parents separate. And now you've made a decision to enter the military. Why did you make that decision? And how did you make the decision? Uh, so there was just a multitude of different things being on the reservation, stuff like that, you know, there was that, there's not really that many jobs, not that very many opportunities to really do much of anything besides drink, party. And that was getting really old. Uh, I was married. Um, I got married um, at the age of 20. And, you know, I, I actually really did love, you know, my, my high school sweetheart. Uh, she, she wasn't my nominee, but I loved her just the same. And, you know, I, I just because of the lack of opportunities and me falling down the rabbit hole of drinking and, and stuff like that, I knew that I was kind of, I was slipping. And so rather than go fully down that, that rabbit hole, I, I ended up enlisting in the military. I, I kind of went against what she requested, which was not to be combat arms. Uh, explain combat arms uh, in the military. So you, you mean infantry, actually front lines. A lot of people would say, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah, picking up a rifle, going on the front lines, um, and really taking the fight to the enemy and being like on the ground, boots on the ground, rather than being a support element, which they wanted for me. From where I sit today, yeah, you know, it was a huge adjustment. Um, coming back, uh, dealing with that, my training and training to react to contact and, and be reactive, that, that was a hard adjustment for me, but I wouldn't have it any other way because that caused me to be the resilient person I am today. Let, let's stay uh, pre-military before you've entered oh, the military. Yeah. So now you're, you're entering the military. You, you decide on the military. What year are we, Jason? This is back in 2007. So 2007, the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, been going on for about four years. Uh, yep. And you're aware of the war. You're aware of the, 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 the country's passion for the war at the time. Yep. Okay. Yeah, uh, wait, 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 very aware. Okay, so very now, aware. Now I have to ask you this. This is always a question. You entered the military. How'd your dad feel about this? How'd your mom feel about it? My mom was supportive of me not being combat arms. My father was the same way. They, they were, they were, they were supportive. But then when they found out what I chose to do, they were nervous. I, I feel bad for the amount of stress that I put them through on a daily basis because my communication with them wasn't wasn't the best. And, you know, I, I never wanted them to really know what was going on um, over there, the conflict and, and the things that I would face on a daily basis. I wouldn't even let my, my, my spouse know that. 
So now, now you've entered the military, you've signed over, and the day that you're preparing to leave, what are you expecting the military to offer you uh, besides that particular job that you signed up for? What, what was the military going to do for you? What were you expecting to happen? I was expecting to get I'd have three hots in a cot, a, a job, uh, being able to provide for my family, being able to be a family man, being able to start a family, and uh, yeah, it didn't really happen that way, obviously. But, but, but what's interesting, it had nothing to do with the war, it had nothing to do with the military, it had to do with offering you some personal self-respect, some guidance, some uh, guidance in your own life, some success in your own life uh, that would give you the self-respect and the success you needed in life to raise a family. Would that be correct? That is correct. Wow. That is correct. So now you get in. Who's all there when you get on the bus to leave uh, and go off to boot camp? My mom didn't want to show up. My father didn't want to. They just didn't want to. They didn't, they didn't want to see me off, you know. Um, and I didn't want them to be there because I knew how hard it was going to be for me. It was already hard enough for me to to leave uh, my ex-wife. It really was, I think. It really didn't hit me until, you know, I see the tears in her eyes and, I couldn't give her that one last hug. I had to leave. And it was like, Oh no, what have I done? You know, I, <laughs> what have I done? Yeah. Like I, I just, I was like, man, I, I don't want to see her like that anymore. Like I don't want her to cry like that anymore. And it's, and then it really started dawning on me. I'm like, Oh no, I'm going to be reconnaissance. Oh no. <laughs> you know, the reality hit. The reality did hit. Yes, okay, so did. you get on the bus. Nobody's really there to, uh, you know, for the patriotic uh, send off, uh, you know, pump in the fist and go get them and all that sort of thing. So where are you going for basic training and an advanced training? And, and then we'll take off for your deployments. Yeah, so I went to Fort Knox, Kentucky for scout training, uh, for, you know, and then that was, it was OSET, so it was combined ops training, so after the two months of basic training, you're, you you know, you were, you were a piece of crap. You didn't have any, you didn't have a job affiliation, you know, you, you could wear the beret, you know, but you didn't have a unit crest. You, you weren't, you didn't have a, a, a MOS designation just yet. And you had two days for family day, which my ex-wife ended up showing up and we went to Shepherdsville, which the drill sergeants warned that that was like the, the capital for the KKK. So when I asked her like, Oh, where are we going, honey? She's like, oh, we're going to Shepherdsville. I'm like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> oh, no. You know, but people were very supportive of me there. Um, I didn't really see that 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 racism or anything like that, that my drill sergeants were putting in my head. Uh, and then after that, we got back. I went back to the same barracks. You know, we had to report to the same barracks after the two days. And we had to report to the same drill sergeants for another two months of advanced, advanced training. Advanced training. Yeah. So it was like four months total of basic training uh, at Fort Knox, Kentucky. And, you know, because there was no females, it wasn't co-ed. There, there wasn't, I think the only females that you would see were the, were the females that worked, the civilians that worked on, on base, but otherwise, you know, it was, it was completely all male. So like we were, they were a lot more vulgar. They were a lot more in your face and, you know, they tend to look away for a lot of corrective training type of, they, they just kind of look the other way because, you know, there, there wasn't that, that motherly aspect to be like, Hey, you can't do that to these soldiers, you know? <laughs> it 
it wasn't the good old boys club, huh? <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely not. So, so Jason, now you come through your four months of training, and how are you feeling about that? And where are you going from there? So, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I read this article about the Third Infantry Division and how, like, this unit was in Iraq and they were fighting and they were. And, and they were going through a really tough time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not going to that unit, you know? And then when I got my orders, they're like, oh, you're going to Fort Stewart, Georgia. And then I looked in my my uh, my soldier's manual. I'm like, Fort Stewart, Georgia, 3rd Infantry Division. Ah, uh, you know, that's okay. The, the odds of me going to that unit is just very small. You know, I just, so I went to Fort Stewart, Georgia with the 3rd Infantry Division. And um, my, the unit was already there for about, I'd say a month or so. And so essentially when I got there, they asked me, Hey, are you married? And I was like, yes, I'm married. And they're like, well, you got, you got, you got a little while, but you need to, you need to find your spouse a place to live. And I wouldn't unpack your bags. <laughs> I knew why, but like, I was just like, yeah, ask why. They're like, well, you're going to the sandbox kid. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. So, Reality is hitting your face. Let me let me stop and just go back for a moment. You've been referring to your wife as your ex-wife along here, so you're still married at this point. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you're so you haven't uh, you haven't gotten divorced yet because you you referred to your ex-wife showing up for your 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 um, visitation on uh, in basic training. So now she's there. You understand you're going to Fort Stewart. You have to find her the house. Now continue on there. Okay. Yep. Yep. So anyway. Um, I finally found a place and um, I, I would sit there and I'd be like, I'd be so with, withdrawn because that would be going, playing over my head. Like I'm going to war. I'm going to war, you know, and like leadership and all that other stuff. They're like, call me killer. And like, you know, like, like really beefing me up to go. And so like, they were always reminding me of what was, what was just around the corner. And I'm like, I don't even think I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready or not. You know, I don't think my shot group is tight enough to be able to go over there and, and do this. Like, I have no idea, but you know, we, we do repetitive, like down up drills or we pick the rifle up, put it here. We, we do that for hours. And I'm like, why are we doing this? You know, but I'm glad they did because I'd always have that, 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 that good sight picture every time, you know, I think it was like a, not even a month or like not even two months. And I was already boots on the ground in Iraq, Afghanistan. In, in Iraq. Yeah. In Iraq. I was, I was in Baghdad. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, so now you have left. Let's just quickly go through this. It's always been important to me. What does mom think? What does dad think? What does your wife think when you're going off to war? Well, I, I never really got their opinion on that. Actually, I just I just climbed into a bottle. As a matter of fact, I was almost late for formation to leave because I live like really close. I was in Hinesville. So I live like right by the uh, boys or the yeah boys and girls club. And there's a tree there that you can climb up and, and sit in. Well, I bought a bottle of Jack Daniel single barrel and I polished that whole thing off. And then I see my ex-wife just driving around. I'm like, hmm, you know, and she's like, you know, calling my name and everything. I'm like, well, I suppose I could go see what she wants, you know. And, you know, I went up there. And she's like, you're going to be late. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I smell like a brewery. I smell completely like a brewery. There's no hiding that. So we ended up we ended up uh, going there. I ended up unloading my bags and everything like that. And they're like, hey, you, get over here. So I went, got formation and everything. And they're just like, whoo, 
Wow, catch an ego, man. What? Did you take a basin of Jack Daniels? I was just like, yeah, Jack Daniels single barrel, actually, you know. And like, you know, at that point, you know, I I looked and I seen I seen, you know, my wife crying and everything like that. And then we all went into a gymnasium and everybody was was just quiet and we couldn't families couldn't be brought in there. And I remember I had my I actually deployed with an M16 because third ID was at that point where they were they they spent they lost so much equipment or you know field field loss and combat losses for equipment and their budget was pretty tight. So I ended up going there with an M16 and then I just remember looking at my M16 like I don't know how this is going to hold up in urban environment. Like I really wish I had an M4, you know, like everybody else here. And when we got on that bus and we got to the airport and everything like that, like it, it was like I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you that, that, that feeling, you know, of just, of, of, you know, that reality hitting you more and more as you, you were getting closer and closer to where your destination, Reality, you know? Yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, there, there's an actual, like there was a, a concrete barrier that whenever we, like before we went outside the wire, it, it said now entering reality. So it was, I'm like, oh, thanks. Whoever, whoever painted that, they sure were. They sure, they sure were great people. <laughs> yeah. well, Jason, let's continue on because you would do a tour in Iraq. You would come home and then you would do a tour in Afghanistan. Yes. Uh, and so you saw two different wars. Uh, mm-hmm. As you're going through this, catch us up to when you leave the military, but explaining those things that were important as it changed your idea of where you were, why you enlisted, and what your expectations were. What was the actual experience? So, but the actual experience for me um, ended up being about the person to my left and my right and nothing else mattered to me and was, was their safety and security. And my wife wasn't there to tell me to not to reenlist. So I ended up reenlisting, you know, I found a lot of purpose. I found that I was really good at kicking down doors. I was really, I liked that high, I started to get addicted to the high octane, high energy, like kind of like I was like, I think that's why I was like kind of aggressive and still kind of have that aggressive nature nowadays. It's like, I just want to, I just want to go a Drake fight and, you know, and that's, and that's what allowed me to do or caused me to do stimulants too, because it felt like I would get that adrenaline rush and I'd be doing careless stuff. I'd be just careless, completely a hundred percent careless. I mean, I started, you know, like what mattered to me then didn't matter to me anymore. I didn't care what my wife thought. My ex-wife thought I didn't care what my mom thought. I didn't care what anybody thought, you know, the only people that really mattered to me were my comrades. I I didn't want to face what I did. I just, I started to like become the uniform. I started to become what uncle Sam wanted of me. I I became that a hundred percent. And anybody who served alongside me will, will, will tell you I was, I was a, a good soldier and I was a good fighter. They, they, they will tell you that. And I, and I can guarantee, you, you know, you can ask anybody. And, you know, that's, that's what became me. That's what I identified as. But then when I came back to like Garrison and stuff like that, we would live so far away from like Garrison. And I didn't spend enough time in Garrison to where it was like that goes gar- like 670-1 and like, you know, wear an appearance of uni- uniform. That didn't matter to me. So as far as like me trying to be a garrison soldier, that was a nightmare. It was like, I was so feral, like wild, you know, living out way out in the middle of nowhere on a patrol base 
you know, sometimes just living out of our trucks or, you know, in a shipping connex, you, you tend to lose track of how to be, you know, a civil individual, you know. Well, they're different worlds. You have to learn to be a different person because you're in a combat zone. This is where the action is. This is where the war is. This is where you're hyper vigilant for the safety of yourself and your buddies that nobody gets hurt, nobody gets killed. When you're back on the base, now you have to have the polished boots. Now you have to salute. Now you have to do all of the, the official stuff, which doesn't doesn't compare with being on the front lines or being where the action is. They're, they're two different, two different ways of living. It, yeah, it really was. And like, you know, I would, I would, when we go to the field, I'd be like, Oh, thank goodness. I can be a soldier again because my uniform and all that stuff and, 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 and you know, regulations and all that stuff. I'm like, this is not the army that I really like wanted to be a part of. Like I, I either wanted it to be very, very hundred percent disciplined all the time. Or I wanted to be a wild soldier, knuckle dragging, you know, <laughs> a knuckle dragger, you know, a, a combat, a combat soldier. And that's that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to. Everything was solved with violence, violence of action, you know, violence of action and um, bottling things and, and like stuff like that. But like, it got to the point where you know, I was, I crawled into a bottle and I started drinking even more and like me and my wife wouldn't see eye to eye. And Wait, hang on a second. Now you're crawling into a bottle. Are, are you while you're on deployment or after you come home? After I come home. Yeah. Okay, well, before we get home, Jason, tell me you're, you're ready to leave now, Afghanistan, your second deployment. Um, and, and what you're explaining is very reasonable for us who have been there, that, that mentality but what are you expecting when you leave to go home? What are you expecting when you get home is going to be happening? So the unit that I was with in Afghanistan, we didn't see eye to eye at all. We, as a matter of fact, we'd always butt heads. And I remember, you know, they're always like, they're always like, you know, why can't we fix you? Why can't we fix you catching an egg? And it's like, well, you don't need to fix me. You need to fix yourselves. You know, you guys need to fix yourselves. And you guys need to start worrying more about, your, your your soldiers rather than treating us you know this way like you you know it was like they just they didn't care about us anymore it, it turned into a different completely different war to be honest because it went from okay now like iraq was just it was kind of like no holes barred if you feel threatened we'll do the paperwork and then when i went to afghanistan it seemed like they were in the middle of downsizing and there was budget cuts and then they were, so we like, we were facing that turmoil with, with, with all of that. So, you know, actuality, like it was like, I didn't have that camaraderie. We didn't have that camaraderie. We were a very, very, very dysfunctional unit. But when it came time to operate, we operated like a well-oiled war machine, but it was like, we had to put the, we had to put the kid gloves on in the street fight. Because now it was like, oh, we have to show proper escalation of force. We have to worry about the Geneva Convention. You know, we have to win the hearts and minds, you know. And I'm like, well, this is war. I don't know if you understand this or not, but I don't like getting shot at and not, not, not being able to shoot back without getting permission. That don't make sense to me. And so having that in the back of my mind and in my heart, that that caused me I knew where I was going when I got home and that was that was going to be you know in in the bottle you know I knew I was going to end up drinking and all that stuff and you knew that before you got home you know that's where you were going 
Yeah, I knew that that was my destination. Yep. And, that was definitely my destination. And then what about your expectations? You're still married. And, and again, your family will be waiting for you. And you have, as you, you mentioned, you stopped thinking about them. You were focused on what was immediately your life at the time, which was combat in the war. Uh, but they're going to be there. What, are you thinking about them and how you're going to interact with them when you get home? No. 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 I, like I said, I didn't even really have time to really spend with my spouse, or my ex-spouse or my family. I was always in the field uh, when I got back from Iraq. And then it was always field rotation, field rotation, field rotation. Oh, we're getting ready to deploy again. And so I never really got got to have that connection you know, with, with, with my family. And so I felt the same way about them as I, as I did everybody else in my life. I didn't care as long as they were, if they weren't my comrades, you know, then, then I, I just, I just, I didn't care. I didn't care about them. So what happens when you actually get home and there they are? We don't understand each other. (laughs) We don't see eye to eye at all. We couldn't communicate. I felt like their problems were just so minuscule and small compared to like, I'm like, really? That's what you're stressed out about? Oh, yeah. Have you ever done this? Have you ever done that? Oh, exactly. Then you don't know what pain is. And like, you know, like that's that's the kind of mentality I had. And like, I still kind of have that sometimes. But, you know, I'm, I'm a peer support specialist now. And I've learned to kind of realize that trauma is trauma. And I, I can't compare my trauma with other traumas because that's that's very detrimental. That's this is this shouldn't be a contest. It's not a contest of who suffered the most or went through the who went through the most. We're speaking with former Army soldier Jason Ketchenego, and he is just returning from two tours overseas, one in uh, Iraq and one in Afghanistan, and going home to meet his wife and his family for the first time. So you you've arrived at home, and you're you're feeling immediately there's a disconnect between you and and your family. What about your old friends? What about your old activities that were joyful for you? You mentioned keeping in shape or playing sports or playing the guitar or friends that you used to hang out with. Were they of interest to you anymore? No. I was like, you guys are still sitting here doing the same stuff. <laughs> I'm not laughing at it, but yeah. I know, no, it sounds I get, familiar. Yeah. I get it, yeah. I'm like, what, what, what are you guys doing? You, you know, like, and then like, it was like, okay. But like I said, like, I think I think the simple fact that I came from a very dysfunctional unit uh, in Afghanistan, I think that kind of set the lens for every 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 other relationship in my entire life, because now I don't even have a unit that I can trust anymore. And like, I don't have anybody I can trust. So like I was just like very confrontational, very, very radic and very, very angry that rage, you know, and, and, and being Native American and being born with that rage too. I mean, uh, you know? Yeah. So what did you it's, do with this? What did you do when you, did you know who you were? Did you know what, what these reactions were? Did it all make sense to you? Did you understand these things or was this all new territory to you psychologically, spiritually, however you want to look at it? And what did you do with it? So for me, you know, I was always raised to respect all living things and, you know, going over there and being doing what I had to do, you know, other stuff like that was a conflict. That was a conflict. That was a lot of inner conflict for me spiritually. Um, and then not thinking that I had an issue being in denial was, was, was another thing. 
I didn't, I, I, I thought the world, there was something wrong with the world that I left behind because it was like, okay, I come back here and everything's all messed up. I went over there, did this, did that. I sacrificed so much and you can't even lift a finger to help, help me when I need it or, or something like I always, like I came here, I came out feeling entitled, like, like, like change was going to be there waiting for me. Like, you know, especially like, uh, you know, being in Iraq and, you know, seeing all the, all the change that happened there. Like there was a lot of conflict and then there's a lot of peace later on. I expected the world to be that way. So, and, so were you were expecting kind of a hero's welcome and, uh, you know, uh, the, the honor, the pride, the patriotism, the honor, everything to continue as finding this new person of Jason would be carrying you forward in life. Was it that or was it just you didn't know who you were, didn't understand where you were, what what was going on? No, I had I had no idea. I didn't ha- I didn't have that understanding. I didn't have that understanding of myself. I didn't know who I was anymore. I couldn't look at myself anymore. I just couldn't, I, I couldn't stand myself. What, what about if, if I were to say this, ask you this question, um, emotional intimacy with your wife, I'm not talking about physical intimacy and that, but just allowing her to be in the conversation that's inside of you, it's explain experiences, share who you were, share what you had seen, what you had done. Was there any interest in there? Was there any interest in knowing what she has been doing, where she is, or, or was there just kind of a, a, I don't want to be leading you on, but that emotional intimacy, that connection, that co- communication, was that gone? Yeah, it was completely gone. Like I said, I nobody mattered to me, but you know what I'm saying? It was like, I, I, I just, you know, I, I, and then I'd still have stress full days at work and stuff. And then she'd come up to me and I'd be like, just, 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 just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. I, I, I had a bad day. I need, I need, I need, a, I need a drink. I need to sit down on my recliner and I need for you to leave me, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Uh, I, I'll ask you this because of my experience and many others, was your language more colorful than that? <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. It really was. Yes. Yeah, uh, uh, it, it's almost that military language, military humor can be very, very disgusting to other people, but it's part of the facade of being a soldier. So, right. so, so now you've come home, you're, you're experiencing this issues. We want to get to where you are today. So take us through what you actually experienced uh, as you can that would eventually lead you up to understanding you needed to change that would take you now to what you're doing as a a peer mentor. So I ended up going into an inpatient program for OIF um, veterans and everything like that. And, you know, it was a really good program. It was really good to be with other veterans and stuff. But it was like, you know, I would sit there and listen to their stories and like, I'd be like, Wow, I, I don't think I have post traumatic stress because you know what? My I don't I don't get like I don't cower. I get aggressive, and 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 so like I felt like I didn't have an issue, but then like when 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 we started doing a, a thing called prolonged exposure therapy, that's when it started to really reality really hit me hard. Like holy crap, you know? Because they're like, okay, so we understand you've been to Iraq and Afghanistan. But what we need you to do is we need you to figure out what the most traumatic event was over there. What eats you up? What still eats you up to this day? We want you to write about that in, in, in absolute gory detail. And then what we're going to do. And I was like, are you serious? What do you mean? What was the most traumatic event over there? Holy crap. Like, I, I, that's a lot. To, that's a lot. 
no, I'm not, you know, and then I finally figured one out and I'm like, yeah, this one's kind of giving me nightmares. It's keeping me up at night and I just can't get that scream. I can't get, I can't get the screams out of my head. And so I, I wrote everything down and they're like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to record you reading this, reading this off. And I'm like, okay, that's cool, I guess. So I started reading it and they started recording it. And then they gave me the recording and they're like, we need you to listen to it. I'm like, am I going to have to do this for every event that I find traumatic? They're like, yes. I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm like, I'm just going to go and figure this out on my own. I'm going to figure this out. And so I look more at prolonged exposure. I look more at the human brain on what the the reptilian side of your brain is, that, that alarm system, the amygdala, all that stuff, that's that fight or flight, where that fight or flight comes from. I researched that. I also researched what prolonged exposure therapy was, why it was effective, and it, it was effective in treating was phobias. And what that is to do, it's, it's to expose you, to figure out what your trigger is and expose you to that trigger a little bit more, in longer incre- increments each time. So I wouldn't recommend this to anybody, but I had to sit there and figure out what my triggers were and be okay with being uncomfortable and be okay with with kind of increasing my level of exposure to it in a more like real world sense. Like I had to go in there and put myself into these uncomfortable situations to where I was like, I just, I, I wanted to jump out of my own skin and I wanted to like, you know, I just wanted to, I just wanted to destroy, <laughs> you know, and like, and, and try to really, I started to really kind of like, not only do that, but I started to really kind of put things into perspective and kind of observe myself a little bit and kind of do a little self-reflection and kind of think of my thoughts in a way that was like non-judgmental to let my thoughts really go, you know, and really kind of flow and just observe and just be an observer of my own self and, 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 and what are my motivations were lying and, and everything like this. And little by little, I started to feel a little bit more, 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 more human again. Like I, I it was like, I, I, I was starting to kind of like, you know, come out of that reclusive, that reclusivity and, and, and come, I was starting to come out more. I was starting to talk to people more. Where at this point with, with the treatment that you're getting for healing, where's your wife at this point and, and where's your mom? Are you still in contact with them? Um, yeah, it, 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 me and, me and my, my ex-wife, we were going through a divorce at this time. So like, now you're going through the divorce. Right, right, right. So I was losing her. And I was like, oh, why, why would, why would she leave me? Oh, pity party, go oh, poor me and stuff. And then like, but the thing about it was, was I was so doped up on medications that, you know, I was kind of like flatlining too. And so, you know, I, I, I ended up like just doing away with the medications and doing this prolonged, this self-prolonged exposure thing, because like after I lost my mom and I didn't have any emotions and I didn't know why that really messed me up. I was like, holy crap. Am I that cold? Am I, my mom meant the world to me. My life, my wife is leaving me and I, I, I don't even know how to react to this. I, and, and so I knew that I had to feel, I had to face my emotions. I had to take that and just look at it for what it was and kind of like take it as it came little by little. And like I said, just keep on, ex- I kept exposing myself to these, these triggers and, 
you know, that allowed me to really kind of do a lot of introspective work. Like I, I would go inside for answers rather than, and then I'd also read books and I would still do, I would, I would reflect on my thoughts for the day and really kind of put everything in, 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 into bite-sized chunks to where I'm like, okay, so this is who I am. This is who I am today. I have to learn to forgive those that hurt me. I have to, you know, forgive this person. But the only person that I did forgot to forgive was myself, I think. And when I realized that, I was able to kind of start to feel human. And for the first time, I think, point in time where I, where I had to be vulnerable. And I didn't like that feeling. Would it be fair to say that you were emotionally isolated? And, and and emotionally numbed out. Uh, a lot of us had that feeling coming home we're emotionally numb, but when we think back on it, we had to be numb to do the things we did at war or we wouldn't have survived emotionally. We, we would have been a heap of tears on the battlefield. So you do shut right. down, we shut down, but it doesn't shut back on when we come right. home. And then we isolate yep. ourselves psychologically and spiritually from everybody else. And that's a horrible place to be in. So now you're getting to the point where you're starting to feel again these things are opening up, and that's going to take you up to a point where you could say that you're significantly along in your, your transition, that now you can start to feel a difference in yourself and, and, and go on yeah. with the peer mentoring. Share that with us. So uh, just recently, actually, um, like I would be, I'd still have like these suicidal ideations, and like I would, I'd still drink and do drugs and stuff like that, and I'd end up in the VA, and there was a few times where there was other veterans struggling and, and I would talk to them and I, I learned how to talk to other veterans and not only talk, but listen, I learned how to listen. I learned how to share and be vulnerable. And then I'll never, I'll never forget. Like I was in a group setting and I'll never forget the time when like I started sharing and I was like, Oh crap, I'm sharing too much. I'm sharing too much. I'm sharing too much. And, and, and after the group, you know, and then like, there was another veteran there who was holding, holding, hold, he was telling us uh, a, a story about him and his his ex wife, and I just remember like, man, I wish I, wish I had my my ex wife, and then I see him bottling things up. I'm like, hey man, don't do that. He's like, what? Cry? I'm like, no, cry, but stop bottling it up. I'm like, that stuff's got to go someplace, man. You got to let that stuff out, otherwise it's gonna stay there, and you're gonna end up like me, divorced. A complete mess, still in recovery, struggling to stay on top. Like you, you don't want to be like me. And he started to express himself and cry. And then that's when I met Dr. McBride. The next time we showed up, I showed up for that 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 group setting, and nobody showed up but Dr. McBride. And Dr. McBride had all these skulls, and I was just like, oh yeah, that's former rectus. That's uh, you know, that's that's a silverback gorilla, and you know, that's that's uh, uh you know. A homo sapien and he's like oh sit down you know and that we started talking and we were at the same we were in the we were in the same area at the same time and during deployment and so like we we automatically synced and like they would listen to what i had to say and like the nurse was like hey he's really good at helping other people express themselves and so my purpose started like there was light at the end of the tunnel and i started to feel like hey you know what Maybe I do have a purpose in life. You know, maybe I can do something positive. And so, uh, you know, and that opened me up to be more and more and more vulnerable without even me knowing it. And it was to the point where it's like, I don't know how to turn my emotions off now. 
I don't know how to turn them off. I learn, I know how to stuff them, but I don't know how to turn them off. I missed that memo. <laughs> the hole in the dam. It's all good. You can't yeah. plug it up anymore. Yeah, I couldn't. I just couldn't plug it up anymore, and so that's when I I, I wanted to feed my my people and, and and help my people because they were still struggling. We're speaking with Jason Catchenego uh, about his transition after tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, and the difficulty with alcohol, with drugs, uh, obviously the emotional, and with his wife, and the ability to numb himself emotionally and numb himself psychologically and disconnect and isolate and all these other things. And so this is a long road, but you returned from Afghanistan in the military in 2015. Now we've been talking about this road on, on healing. How, how far along the way are we from the time you get home? Where are we now about? So this is actually uh, only like a year or two ago, actually. <laughs> and, so, and we're so around 2000. So this is five years. So for those veterans or those people who are listening and are interested, this isn't something that a transition that happened overnight for you. No. This was years in the making. So it's hard work, but it's worth it because at the end of that hard work is what now you're calling this flood of emotions coming out, facing it, uh, I, I think there's some things acknowledging that you had these reactions, trying to understand them, educating yourself on how to resolve them, and accepting as they go along the way. That, that's really quite a, a journey that you've been on. And now when you see that point, I, I'm real fascinated by this one point that where all of a sudden you're out of the isolation of yourself, you're out of the emotional isolation, out of the emotional numbing, and now you see that you can use this experience to help other people who have been where you're coming from. Is that fair? But now you that is, ref- that is very fair. Yes. Yeah, yes. And now you say you're, ref- you're, you're thinking of your people. When you refer to your people, you're referring again to the other veterans or people in general on the Menominee Indian reservation. That is correct. Yes. And, um, you know, and, and, and I reached out to dry hoops um, and uh, I spoke with a gentleman named Otis uh, Otis Winston and he I, I, I asked him essentially I told him what I was about wanted to do I wanted to bring food up to the reservation and I kind of wanted to talk to my people to figure you know talk to the Menominee people to figure out what we needed and for me to, to, to help you know bridge the gap for resources and all this other stuff and to, to kind of like help everybody out and he's like well you're gonna have to talk to Levi and then I talked to Levi and he's like hey you know come in for an interview. I think you'd be a good fit for our team. And, and, and I was just like, Oh, okay. You know, Let, let's, uh, let's just stop and quickly explain dry hooch and, and Otis being the president of dry hooch, dry hooch in Southeast Wisconsin and, and Levi being another veteran who's uh, working or volunteering at the, at the dry hooch and dry hooch is a nonprofit, a very popular, very successful veterans organization, in Southeast Wisconsin, but that's now really spreading around the country. So they're looking at uh, you, you've joined them and take it from there and how this goes to now the foundation that you're starting up and what the purpose of that is. And I'd also like you to share this experience you having actually going to the reservation and the mood you find on the reservation that makes it even more important in, in your mission to help them. Yeah. So the guy hooch, you know, they, they kind of turned me on to this peer support thing. And that's kind of when I had that light bulb moment where I'm just like, okay, well, this is a good way to bring new meaning and purpose to, you know, the whole grand scheme of things as far as like creating jobs and opportunities and giving a, that, that meaning behind recovery and something to strive for. 
Um, and, and I think that's what a lot of people are missing. I think everybody in, in every walk of life is missing a sense of purpose and, and meaning in, 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 in every facet of life. And I think it's very important to cling on to something that allows you to contribute to something larger than yourself. And, you know, going back there and, and, and seeing that the, 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 the drugs were running rampant, seeing that the poverty was still there, and then the cost of goods and services going up. And on the reservation you're referring to. Right? Yes, I'm referring to the reservation. Yes, that's what caused me to start my organization because you know I was I was told you know that you could be a branch of dry hooch for the Native Americans, but you're going to be more of an observation post, and that where that's where the OP observation or stands for is observation post Oshkosh, because um, in in war, you know you start off as an observation post, then you turn into a patrol base or a cop, and then you eventually become a fob which is, you know, a huge base of operations and everything like that. So what this is, it's going to be a branch of dry hooch. Um, it's going to be a peer support organization where we essentially, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be providing aid while listening to the people and what they want. And then getting to know everybody on a more personal level and, and having fun activities for the kids. And then we want to create a safe space for the females and the kids and, you know, kind of uh, improve on the recovery system by, you know, separating males and females and, and really kind of focusing in on that. And I think peer support is going to be the ultimate, you know, tool to help allow people to be like, OK, so now that this person is in recovery, he's actually making a living doing it and he's got a job and he's doing very well for himself. I think, you know, maybe I should start thinking about my recovery so I could get to that position. I want to kind of lead the way to, for everybody to be able to become a peer support and get them trained and certified to work for OP Oshkosh and, you know, volunteer um, and then find meaning in helping the community and allowing people to be proactive with helping their own families because it's very communal and there's not, they don't really like outsiders too much for a good reason. And kind of like talking to the to the kids and, and giving them a safe space, giving them hope and challenging the old narratives and kind of move forward and, and kind of letting go of what's been what hasn't been working and kind of replacing it with a new, more empowering narrative while preserving the traditional aspects. Yeah. And, and preserving the language. Well, well, actually, the, the customs and habits. And um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, right. But, uh, I, I just want to stop for a second. And I'll bring it back to this. It's fascinating what you're talking about. But you mentioned several things that I catch on right away. One, you want to provide things. And the things that you describe that you want to provide for these people are the very things that you didn't have when you entered the military. They were jobs, right. security, all the things that you had to leave because you couldn't find any hope, any any employment, any of these things. So you joined the military. Now you're going back after all of this experience and you mentioned coming out of isolation and doing, look, wanting to do something for something bigger than yourself. And that thing that happens to us when we come home, we get locked in self. I went to war. I'm angry. I saw this. I did that. I went here. So getting out of yourself, I think, is probably one of the monumental and most important aspects of this experience and transition from military to civilian life and culture which is there's something bigger than me. How do I go and make that better? And you called it finding a new purpose in life. It's just a remarkable story. So, but now go back. 
you're, you're, you're going to take this back to the Menominee Indian Reservation, and how is that going to be structured so that people can find you and get in touch? You said you're looking for volunteers who want to know about, more about this. I know this is only the beginning of your, your development of the, the uh, OP Oshkosh uh, Foundation, but how would people keep up with you? Where can they, they find you? Are, are you on Facebook? OP Oshkosh is the organization, OP Oshkosh Inc., it's also going to be, uh, I have a website. It's uh, no periods or anything, uh, org. That's O-P-O-A-S-H-K-O-S-H.org. <laughs> it's a little bit of a twister. And no, then no. Um, I have an email. It's uh, info at oposhkosh.org. That's more of the business side of things, but for the peer support, it's jason at oposhkosh.org uh, for people who are looking to be peer supported and everything like that. Um, I think we, we also have, I think, the, the, the greatest curriculum for, for that. WIPC, uh, the Wisconsin Peer Support Specialist, they want to partner with me. It's taking off. We're, we're actually a, a part of the uh, Veterans Chamber of Commerce. So the website and then how, how, how we're going to do this operational wise is, like I said, we're going to bring all these resources and all these all this food and, and, and donations and everything like that, that people for people who want to get involved. We want to bring those to the reservation, not just to hand them out, but to actually listen to the people. And not 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 assume that we know what what exactly they they want and need, but listen to them individually, and show that we care, and show that they that they matter, and show that we can work together, and we can be completely devoid of waiting on the government is not going to going to change things. Change happens with us. We have to be proactive in the, in the change we want to see in the world, and that starts with doing this thing, these, these great things, living outside of yourself, living for something greater than yourself and, and realizing that this is not a, you know, this is not an individual thing. We need a team. Yeah. It's not we, a free we, handout. It's not somebody just coming to give you food and supplies. It's becoming part of an organization for everybody to be part of this idea of there's something bigger than ourselves. That's right. This is really, um, I'm so excited for you. And I, and I, I, been down to dry hooch and i've met you before and i see your enthusiasm for this and there is no greater healing for a lot of us who have gone through the transition that you have the isolation you know the the pharmaceutical addictions the alcohol the uh, all of these the anger the rage not knowing who we are uh, challenges that we've had coming up with our families and the loss and the divorces and estrangement uh, and actually getting to this point is probably the most difficult but the greatest thing that is healing for us is then to turn around, remember those people the way that we were in that situation and know the power that we have now to continue our healing by helping others. It, it's, uh, it, it, when you see that, that is one of the greatest signs of hope for any veteran or family struggling is that there is that joy and there is that purpose of life again if you look for mm-hmm. it. Another thing too, like one of the greatest teachings I think within the American Indian people is to to respect all living things, and you know the simple fact that you know we're holding grudges and 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 stuff like that, and holding on to the suffering of of our ancestors from from the past and everything. Um, I know if I was in the shoes of the ancestors that passed, I mean they suffered and sacrificed so that we didn't have to, and I think it's time that we start celebrating their sacrifice rather than mourn and and be angry at the world. 
and, and realize that we need to accept things for what they are now. And that's how we create the change we want to see. We can't sit here and, and cast anger at everybody who we think was responsible for this. Nobody's responsible for this, that they're not alive anymore. You know, it's, it's, you know, I can't sit there and be mad at somebody for something that, you know, their ancestors did to me in, in, in the past. I can't do that. I mean, that's going to, that's, that's, that's self-destructive for me because I, I'm giving that person free real estate and a place to live in my life. So I, they're winning. They have power over me and I don't want them to have power over me. And the best way to do that is to kind of learn to forgive, learn to forgive them and learn to forgive yourself and take responsibility and ownership for your living situation. Knowing that, hey, waiting on the government, you're going to be waiting forever because it's up, it's up to community and culture to create the change that we want to see in the world. I don't know that there's a more powerful message that you've just shared and not a more powerful goal and ambition in your own healing, but for your foundation, O.P. Oshkosh. Uh, so share one more time where they can get in touch with you and what the name of the organization is so that whoever might want to volunteer or get more information on this can get a hold of you. Yes. Uh, so it's O.P. Oshkosh. Uh, the number is area code 262 four four two two three one zero my email is info at oposhkosh.org and the website is uh oposhkosh.org it's the city of oshkosh with op before it op city of oshkosh don't write city in there but oposhkosh.org and Oshkosh is just uh, just uh, south of uh, just north of appleton or just south of appleton south of green bay uh, mm-hmm. in eastern Wisconsin, so they can find you there. I will say this, uh, Jason Cachanego, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm, I'm so glad and honored to have met you, but there's nothing greater for me than to see a veteran who has struggled so much and so hard and really given up so much in the way of their own love and their own lives and the things that meant to them find that pivoting point where now they find, as you say, and I think it's such a beautiful, strong way of putting it, a new purpose in life uh, that is geared toward repairing and improving something bigger than yourself. So uh, God love you and thanks for all you're doing and we'll stay in touch. And we're certainly going to keep the, the, keep this platform open for you to come on anytime and, and share more on, on your, your progress and what you're doing. And th- certainly thanks to Otis and Levi and all the folks over at dry hooch for giving you the opportunity and supporting you. So thank you so much, Jason. Thank you. It's been an honor. I greatly appreciate it. You have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. So for uh, our audience, uh, we want to thank you for joining us today. And uh, please check out more for of our resources on our website at orbanfoundationforveterans.org. And please, if you are struggling in any way, uh, and we certainly encourage you to uh, take Jason's advice and reach out, talk to somebody, share it, don't hold it on, don't, don't bottle it all in. And if you would like to speak with somebody, a real person, take down this number. This is the Veterans Crisis Line, and they can be found at 1-800-273-8255, and then press the number one. But that is probably the most uh, difficult call to make, but I couldn't stress more that it is the most important uh, call to make. And it can be the start of a road as Jason and I have both been on, but we're thinking about Jason today. And that's getting to the point that there is some hope, there is some joy, and there is uh, there is uh, a lot of benefits to the struggle of 
uh, framing your transition properly and healthily uh, to civilian life. So for my co-host, Bob Bach, I'm Mike Orban. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Stigma Free Vet Zone. Your comments are, are encouraged and welcome. And remember, this is educational, not stigmatizing. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.